We, we are put here to be a blessing to others. That's the only way it comes back. You know, you continue to bless others and help others. It comes back to you. And we continue to bless others. We may not have everything that we want materialistically, but we're okay with that. Because when we can get a phone call, a letter, an email saying thank you for something that we've helped with, I'd rather have that all day long. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got my partner in crime, Ed Dudley, on the show with me today. Ed, how are things out in our triangle? And things are doing real good over here, man. How are you feeling today? Amazing. I appreciate you asking. Before we dive in, do me a favor and let the listeners know how they can get in contact with you. Yeah. So the best way to find me, you can find me on Instagram at weareconnect underscore ed. You can find me on LinkedIn, which I do most of my work at, um, at Edward Dudley. And then on Facebook, you can find me at weareconnect hyphen ed as well. Beautiful. I don't do much in the way of introductions. Usually people know if somebody's coming on the show, they're about to get an action-packed adventure. And so what I would like to do, if you're open to it, is have you tell the listeners kind of how you got to where you are and what you're most excited about next. Oh, wow, man. You know, so I'm just a, I'm just a kid that grew up lower middle class and didn't know it. Because uh, my, my my parents knew how to rob Peter to pay Paul and, and give some money to Joseph as well. So I uh, grew up in a little town called Springfield, Mass. And for those of you guys that are hoop fans, it's the birthplace of basketball. That's all that's there. Uh, went to school in Boston. Um, from Boston, I, I got a chance to move around in, in the financial industry. Went to uh, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Got a chance to live in Miami for about five years. Uh, then the Lord saw fit to throw me in Atlanta for about another nine years. And I've been back in the Carolinas for about three years in the triangle area. So I'm just in the business, trying to elevate people any way I can. Um, at the core, I'm a servant and I just want to know how I can serve people. And when my time is done on this earth, I want to know that I poured out everything that I had into me into somebody else. Ooh, you getting fancy with the words now, my what does it mean to be a servant? And where did you learn that? Because a lot of people want to be served. They don't want to be a servant. So talk to me about learning that servant leadership mindset. Yeah, so I'll take a step back. So, you know, when I was in corporate America and I, and I heard somebody call themselves a corporate dropout. So I adopted that a few times with a few people. But when I, when I left corporate America, when I was there, I was just busy trying to climb the corporate ladder. That's all I was doing. And I, I left as a senior vice president with uh, a couple of large financial institutions. And then when I got out, I was just trying to build my own little business. But I realized, you know, I have to serve others. So I'm a man of faith and everything that I do is driven by my faith. You don't have to believe what I believe, but you want to believe I believe it. 
And one of my favorite scriptures is given, it shall be given unto you. Now, everyone may not know where that's derived from, but they will understand it. You know, pay it forward, give unto others. And it's going to come back to you. It's a boomerang effect. So you throw that boomerang out, some good stuff. It's going to eventually come back to you. It may not come back to you, Jerome. I poured it out to you. You may not give it back to me. But guess what? I got two, three other brothers and some sisters over here that said, you know what? I like this guy. And let me pour into him. So I'm just, you know, I'm sitting out here serving as many people as I can. Uh, I don't care whether you're, you're young, you're old, you're black or white. It doesn't matter to me. If I can figure out a way to help you, I'm going to help you. Let's go to the origin of that. You said a lot of people won't know where it came from. I'm a person who used to give and give and give. And what I learned kind of the hard way is when you're surrounded with people who are totally fine with taking without giving you anything in return, you end up becoming empty because you've poured out into buckets that have holes in them. So tell me about, because you said you're a spiritual man. So let's go deep on this and let's really get to the origin of this principle and how it actually works. Yeah. So for me, and I I was, I'll take a step back. So I was surrounded by people that were, were takers and I was pouring and I'm pouring. And there was a period that I was, I was like literally empty. And I'll I'll never forget. I talked to God. I said, man, I'm tired. I said, I'm pouring out to people and I'm just tired. I'm like, I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. I'm just worn out. And as soon as I got and I had a little drip left, he sent somebody that was, we were just supposed to network together, but he said, God told him, no, you're not going to network. You're not going to talk about business and all that. You're there to pour into Ed. Because he's so busy pouring to others, no one's pouring into him. So you're going to pour into him. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this brother tell me this. And I'm like, I'm almost crying because I'm like, you and I just met. You have no idea what I prayed for. But God put it in you to come to me and to pour into me. And that just showed me that, you know what? Keep pouring. Even when I get to the point when I feel like I'm empty, don't give up. Because right around the corner, somebody's going to come and pour into me. And that's what I keep doing. I keep pouring, 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 pouring. And there's always somebody around the corner that I least expect starting to pour back into me. Okay. All right. So the person that showed up to just kind of network and ended up being somebody who's instrumental. Yeah. Would you say was the biggest characteristic or what was the most surprising thing about that encounter for you? That he literally was right before he said he was coming. He said he was getting dressed up and ready and excited to figure out who I can connect him with because I'm a connector. And he said, God stopped him said, no. And I'm sitting here and I'm scratching my head and I'm like, wow, you you actually heard my prayer. And to this day, me and this brother meet once a week on a Thursday at one o'clock nonstop. We talk business, we talk family, whatever it is. And he's pouring and I'm pouring, but he's pouring. So I'm never running empty. I might have just a little bit, but I'm never running empty because as I get that, as my as my empty light comes on, somebody else comes and pours into me. And I keep that mindset that I'm going to keep pouring because I may not know where my refuel is going to come from, but it's always come and it never fails me. So I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, you want to talk about faith. There it is. You said you were in a place where you were surrounded by takers and then the transition was made. What changes did you make in order to help attract new people into your world? 
Well, I'm, I'm constantly meeting new people. Uh, I'm meeting five to 10 new people a week. And that's, you know, with COVID going on, um, prior to COVID, I was driving, having coffee and phone calls. And, and now we're having conversations like this over Zoom and some other platforms. I've been able to meet with people across the world. You know, I have regular conversations with people from um, Africa. And I got this one individual that I met from South Johannesburg. And before I know it, she's pouring into me. Like she's sending me messages over WhatsApp and pouring things into me that she doesn't even know that I was looking for at that particular particular time. So what's been happening is I'm attracting more people that are willing to pour into me as I still attract people that are takers. So I'm not worried about the takers. When I told you, I said, give and it shall be given unto you. I'm going to keep on giving because guess what? Right around the corner, somebody's still giving to me and pouring into me. So I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. And it's amazing because I'm having people, I'm having a very diverse group of people that are pouring to me. I had a young man that I looked at and he was like 25, 26. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm helping him, but he's sitting there telling me certain things. And I'm like, oh, wow. Let me, let me write that down and make sure I put that down because I'm, I'm going to use that in the future. So yeah, man, it's good. So You've got some interesting businesses going on. You've got some nonprofit stuff. I mean, you haven't said anything about that. And I think that's probably indicative of who you are in your core. You got to brag a little bit. Tell tell the listeners what you got going on, because I, I want to unpack and peel back some of the layers on this stuff. So my elevator pitch that I always give to people when they ask me, what do, what do, what do I do? I'm in the business of elevating people. And people look at me like, well, what does that mean? So I have three main core things that I do. One is I'm in financial services. I own my own financial services firm and I've owned it for about three years. But my background is over 20 years in financial services, you know, regional vice president, senior vice president. I've done all that, got all the little titles, Uh, but I'm in the business of elevating people's finances, whether it's insurance, financial planning, you name it, I can help you with it. The second way I help elevate people, me and my wife, we started a nonprofit about six years ago called Shining Light in Darkness that focuses on sexual assault and domestic violence. And we help elevate people out of trauma. And a lot of times people hear sexual assault and domestic violence, they immediately think of women. Well, no, I've talked to a lot of men that have dealt with it in one form or another. And the last way I help elevate people, we work with a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs and speakers with my networking group that's called We Are Connected. We Are Connected is a collaborative of small business owners that come together to network, collaborate, potentially bring um, some referral opportunities for each other, surrounded in an event that always brings a speaker that adds value to our audience. Now, currently we're in, let's see, 10 cities in six states, and we've been doing that for about two years. So that's that's all I do. And as you can see, everything is still surrounds serving people in one way or another. Wow. So how did you guys get passionate about the shining the light in the darkness? Let's go there because that's a comfortable topic. So let's go there. So that's my wife's story. So me and my wife have both remarried and her previous life. So my wife is a victim and survivor of child molestation at seven years old. Then she in her early 20s, she dealt with date rape and then her previous marriage, domestic violence. Now, when we were dating, I knew about the domestic violence and the date rape. I didn't know about the molestation. She didn't tell me. She waited so much later because she said I had to make sure that I feel very comfortable because this is something that, you know, that was very private to me. I never told anyone. 
So um, when I moved her to Atlanta, um, made her uh, made her at home, she got bored and like I needed to start a business or something like that. She's like, I want to start a nonprofit. I'm like, go ahead. I got you. Not a problem. So she started it. And 20, I want to say about 2015, we were in a bad car accident. And um, we literally, you know, she took the brunt of it. She had a lacerated liver, paralysis on one side and just taking a bunch of meds and everything. But the, what happened was it unleashed some trauma that she was carrying. And it was like this, this Pandora's box just exploded. And all this trauma that she's dealt with and never really got help for came out. And she was trying to deal with it in so many different ways. You name it, that she's trying to deal with the therapy. She tried drinking a little bit. She tried self-medicating, just all of it. And once we got her healthy, she realized, she said, you know what? She said, if I have suppressed these memories and these emotions for so long, I guarantee I'm not the only one. We got to help some other people. And that's when we rolled up our sleeves and said, all right, let's dive into this. Because prior to her, I didn't really know anyone that dealt with uh, domestic violence. They weren't in my circle. I didn't know anyone that dealt with child molestation. I heard about it, but I didn't know about it. And now to hear somebody, you know, tell me that story that I love and walk me through stuff that, you know, most men were protect protectors and providers. I couldn't protect her from stuff that happened before me. So I said, well, maybe if I couldn't protect her, maybe I can help protect some other people. Maybe I can help elevate and help some other people get through some of the trauma that they've been through. So we do a lot of education. We do some support groups and just a lot of things around sexual assault and domestic violence. But what makes us a little bit different from a lot of organizations is we focus on what we consider the underserved market. And that underserved market are men, because believe it or not, a lot of men deal with it. We focus on veterans because there's a big problem in our military that around sexual assault and domestic violence. We focus on people with disabilities. No one talks about people with disabilities. We had uh, my wife met a lady that was confined to a wheelchair and talked about how her doctor was assaulting her. We focus on the LGBTQIA plus community that I affectionately call the alphabet boys and girls because they're always throwing another letter on there. And then we focus on what's more and really important to us are women of color. And a lot of times when people hear women of color, they think just black women. Now, Asian women. Hispanic women. And when a forgotten group is Native Americans, a lot of people don't forget about Native Americans. You know, I was I always mess with people. Like, When's the last time you actually met a full-blown Native American? And a lot of people sit there and scratching their heads because we don't really know. But th- those are some of the subsets we deal with um, on the nonprofit side. Whoa. So, all right. There's women who are listening to this right now saying, you're telling all her business. What are you doing? (laughs) What do you say? I'm telling all my wife's business. So I will tell them that she told it first. So we were, so I'll tell you guys a quick story. So we were invited to a local Rotary Club to talk about our nonprofit. And the night before my wife and I, we got a game plan. He said, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the support groups and the stuff that we do. So we go there, we go to the Rotary Club and we set up and I said, well, you do all the speaking and you're good. I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to go Facebook Live and I'm going to put it on Facebook Live so that people can see it. So we get there and she's introduced. She gets up, she starts talking. She said, you know what? I'm being led in another direction. She starts to tell her story about the molestation at seven years old by the hands of her uncle. And I'm on Facebook Live. Part of me was like, oh, do I shut it off? 
oh no, I, this, this is not what we talked about. And I said, I can't do that. I gotta be true to who we are and what we're doing. And I left it there. Family members, her mother, her father, a lot of people saw this. So that was her entry really putting that story way out in front of everybody. So yes, I tell her business, and but she tells her business a lot better than I actually tell it. <laughs> the courage <laughs> of it all. I mean, because oh, yeah. the shame holds you until you bring it to the light, right? And then when you're able to openly discuss the things that you aren't proud of, you no long, it no longer has hold over you. Um, and that's why we're shining the light in darkness. I, this is phenomenal. So out of curiosity, like she said she wanted a way to make sure she was comfortable with you before she shared that. How did that make you feel? Because I think that's a general kind of consensus. Like, wait, I, I got to wait. I'm going to wait and see and make sure it's okay. But some people feel betrayed or misled or taken advantage of. And why would you take me this far before you share stuff like that? So what guidance do you have for people who are keeping those secrets from people that they care about a lot, but they're just not sure of the impact of sharing that thing they're ashamed of? So what I will back up and say that she did not share it with her first, her her ex-husband. She never shared it with him. And when she told me she shared it with me, she said, because she felt safe. And she felt comfortable. Now, part of me was, you know, that protector. I was pissed because she told me who it was. So now I know who it is. And I see this individual from time to time. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to take you out. But I was like, I promised I'd never say anything. But the other time I felt honored that she would share her deepest, most intimate pain with me. You know, the Bible talks about the two shall become one. And we are truly one. And she shares everything with me and I share everything with her. And it's an amazing feeling when someone can be completely vulnerable, undressed. I'm not talking about naked, completely undressed their emotions with you. You know, one of the things I always tell people, I says, it's one thing to find someone that, you know, we all have baggage in one way or form. I says, one thing to find somebody to help you carry your baggage. I said, but I'm here to help you carry your baggage I'm here to help you unpack your baggage. And I'm here to help you put your baggage away. That's what I told my wife. Major. And I mean, that level of support, I mean, what do you do other than become more engaged, entangled, connected, and intimate? I, I always pick with people when we're talking relationships and say sex is an intimacy. Intimacy is sharing the things that you're talking about, right? I mean, you, you can have sex with anybody. Let's just be honest. But you can't be intimate with anybody. Yes, there it is, my brother. So, I mean, this had to be, like, challenging. When did you guys realize, like, you had to keep going and, like, you couldn't put everything back in the box and pretend like it never happened? I mean, it, 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 it definitely has been challenging. Um, there was days that um, she wanted to quit because what, what, what happened with her is when she shared her story, she started sharing, people started sharing their stories with her. And her biggest, her biggest kryptonite is hearing stories that happened to little children. Like she had a relapse that she started going back to therapy because the weight of everybody else's stories was weighing her down. And it was the same thing with me. I was like, like I had to go to therapy because of her stories. Now I'm hearing stories from other women. Some of the stories I'm hearing, I'm like, why are you telling me this? And some of them I didn't even ask for. I'm like, why are you 
telling me this. And I, I, I wrote, I'll never forget, it was last year, last Christmas, around last Christmas, I get a message in my um, inbox on Facebook from my, God, from my goddaughter's mother. And my goddaughter's mother tells me that our goddaughter had been assaulted. Now I'm feeling bad and I'm feeling low and I'm feeling down. Like, and she's going back and forth with me. We're going back and forth. I'm like, why didn't she call me and talk to me? And uh, I'm going back, back and forth. And then she said, well, we're in therapy. We're in therapy. And I'm like, great. I'm like, that, that's the first step, get into therapy. And I'm like, this is going to help her, um, you know, get through it. She said, no, I'm in therapy for, therapy for myself. What are you talking about? She said, I was assaulted as a teen too. And I'm like, oh God. So all this weight is hitting me. And when I finally stopped talking to her, I'm laying on my bedroom floor and I'm in tears because I couldn't do anything to help my goddaughter and hearing this story. And I'm trying to call my wife. I'm calling her and I can't reach her. I'm calling her back in the back. She's in a meeting. She's not taking my call. I called my best friend and I'm like, I'm done with shining light. I said, I can't do this. I can't handle the stories anymore. And I'm going on and on and on and on to him and just listen. He said, well, let me know when you finish. And I'm just like, I can't take it anymore. I'm here. I can't take these stories. I'm like, it's happened too often. People are hiding it. Grown men are doing stuff to little boys and little girls and everything. And I said, I just can't take any more stories. He said, are you finished? I was like, yes. He said, why do you think people come to us? I said, I don't know. I don't want to hear it anymore. He said, they come to you because they feel comfortable. He said, you were built for this. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, you were built for this. He said, think about the amount of women that have shared their stories that they said they have never shared it with anyone else. And I'm like, I don't want this. It's like, I, I don't want to be built for this. He said, we are all gifted with certain abilities and certain you know, traits. He said, one of yours is empathy and able to help people. And at that point, that was a that hit conversation with him was a shift for me where I said, no matter how rough some of these stories get, the stories didn't happen to me, but to them. And I'm there to help them as much as I possibly can. Sometimes it's just a listening ear. Sometimes it's a referral to a, a therapist, a counselor, a shelter. But I'm here to help as much as I can. No matter how heavy it gets, I'm there to support them. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. All right. So, Ed, it's heavy. You're refusing the calling. I don't want it. I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. This is heavy. Um, I'm probably going to have to start going to counseling to be able to continue to go down this path, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't stop. You, you, you keep going. So kind of been your worst fear in the process and how are you breaking through it? You know, I, I don't fear a lot of things anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little older. I, I would say if I did have a fear, it would be something, you know, I'm getting a call, something happened to one of my daughters what my granddaughter, grandsons, or something like that. That's something that I probably, but one of the things that we do is we educate them a lot about a lot of subjects that sometimes that, you know, people's like, well, you shouldn't be talking to children um, about certain subjects. And I disagree. I think we need to protect our children as much as possible. And one of the best ways we protect our children is with education. Um, the more you educate your child, the more protected they are, especially in different situations. Uh, you know, we've always, uh, I don't know how old you are, but when we were younger, you know, you, you had a, um, 
you know, an older adult and you're a kid, it's like, and they reach you to hug and parents and grandparents are like, you need, you need to go ahead and hug that individual, you know, hug your uncle where, you know, your kids like uh, kids have an innate ability. It's like, I don't feel comfortable around this person. I don't want to hug them. We shouldn't be making children hug people that they don't want to hug or touch. It's their bodies. And we need to teach them to respect their bodies. And if you don't want someone touching you at an early age, they shouldn't touch you. I don't care who it is. I like it. They're little people. I say it all the time. I'm like, they're little people and we treat them like they aren't people. And I don't think that's fair. At the end of the day, it's, it should be a choice. Um, but I think as adults, parents, we feel like we, we don't want our kids to be rude or we, we don't want to create an uncomfortable situation for another adult. So we force the little person to do something they're not comfortable with. And we need to stop that. I mean, how think, think about it. you said we're going to make the person uncomfortable. So you might make the older person uncomfortable, but you just potentially scarred a young person. That older person will get over it real quick. The younger person may not. They might remember that for the rest of their life. She made me hug this guy and I did not like him. And he, you know, he was touching me the wrong. We don't know. It's a real story. So was there a point as you guys were going on this journey where everything was on the line? Like, was there a rock bottom here? I can't say there was really a, a rock bottom other than when we were both just like so tapped. But like I said, you know, someone poured back into us. You know, our biggest our biggest struggle is like most nonprofits is funding. Um, right now, we're about... 95% funded, self-funded. So everything comes out of my wife and, and I pocket. And there's been some times that we're like, oh God, this is like draining. But there's always a, a way made where we can do something for, for someone. And our ultimate goal is to, you know, have a one-stop facility where anyone has dealt with anything, come to us, shelter, clothing, food, you name it, um, we'll, we'll have it. And that's, that's our ultimate end goal for what we're doing with Shining Light. Man, it seems like there would be like grant programs out there for the populations that you're serving, but maybe not because people don't want to actually acknowledge that this stuff happens. So there, there, is, grant, there is grant funding. Um, it's very, very competitive grant funding. Um, filling out the grants take a lot of work. A lot of a lot of time, um, but there is funding. It's just you know we are like I said we're individuals of faith and we believe everything happens in the right season, and this is just not our season for that grant to come through. And we continue to pay it and continue to help. Um, when the grant comes through, we'll do what we need to do on a bigger scale. But until until then, we'll continue to knock them down one at a time and helping people. So, Ed, what's been the most rewarding? part of this arduous journey that you guys have been on? Because I don't know how else you describe it. And are, are you referring to the, the shining light journey or the journey just in, in, in totality? Both. I mean, we've been talking about shining light just because I find it extremely interesting, but we, we can talk about whatever you're most comfortable talking about with the rewards here. I say, you know, I say is just to, to look at the look on the growth in my wife. I'm not wanting to talk about it and share about it. So standing on the top of a hill and shouting it and helping people. I'll never forget. We met this older couple that had to easily be in their 80s. And we were just talking to them um, in a store. And the wife, my, the lady and my wife got into a conversation. And I don't even know how. And my wife ended up giving her a card. And the lady asked my wife, what is this about? Next thing I know, this wife, this lady is throwing up as far as her emotions on my wife. What happened to her as a child She's in her 80s now. As a child, 
she's sharing with my wife and the husband's looking at me and looking at his wife. He says, she's never shared this with anybody. And I'm like, whoa. And next thing I know, the lady's crying, my wife's crying and I watched them embrace and they just held each other for five minutes and the lady's crying. And I sat there and I was like, this is what it's all about. Like she just made a difference in this lady that we just met 10 minutes ago, life, where this lady just unloaded a weight off her. 80 years old, carrying that type of weight. So the seeing the growth in my wife from when we started to where we are right now and the way she's able to interact and help people, yeah, that that is completely rewarding for me. I think the only true success is significance. And it's interesting, like you've you've managed money and I suspect you've made a lot of money along the way. And now you're doing this work where you guys are healing people or helping heal people. And that always feels a whole lot more rewarding, even if in this case, you guys are paying to get the opportunity to help heal people. That says a lot about where you are and what you have grown into, because maybe earlier in your process, you wouldn't have been open for to do this. No. So, uh, you know, I realize as I've gotten older, we, we are put here to be a blessing to others. That's the only way it comes back. You know, you continue to bless others and help others. It comes back to you. And we continue to bless others. We may not have everything that we want materialistically, but we're okay with that. Because when we can get a phone call, a letter, an email saying thank you for something that we've helped with, I'd rather have that all day long. Because certain things, money money will go away. You will get money and you will lose money. But making a true impact on somebody's life stays with them forever. So, Ed, what is the thing that you're most grateful for now that you have this new perspective? Mindset. When I told you when I was in corporate America, I was all about climbing the corporate ladder. You know, I remember starting out and, you know, in one one job, I was the first person in my division to get the AVB assistant vice president title. And I was happy. And I said, all right, I got to get that VP title. I got that. I was like, all right, I got to get that senior VP title. Got that. Stock options. Got that. And it was it was all good. I was able to have a nice house. And uh, when we lived in Atlanta and traveled all over the world and you know, my daughters played travel volleyball. And if you know anything about AAU basketball, just imagine volleyball was just just as bad and was able to do all that stuff and give them all give me all that. But the mindset that I have right now of just truly serving people and helping people, it doesn't get much better than that for me. Um, what I ever obtain those accolades over there, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, I was on a call with somebody yesterday and they just were were thanking me for helping them with a project. And I can see it in their face that they weren't just saying, thank you. Just, just to say, thank you. They were genuine. Like, what can I do for you? I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, I'm I'm like, I'm good. It's like, no, I'm gonna take you to dinner. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm okay. No, I need to take you to dinner. You help me with this. That's going to help my business grow. And I'm like, all right, we'll go to dinner. But the mindset with this, this renewed mind of just being a servant, uh, paying it forward and helping people. I'm telling you, if we have, if we can get more people um, have a mindset of being servants and helping each other, there's nothing that couldn't stop us as one, as a community, a society and the world in general. We just got too many, we have too many takers and not enough givers. <laughs> oh boy, you open up a whole another box from Pandora there. 
And what are you, what dream are you most focused on catching next? I would say, you know, we talked about shining light. If I was to break everything down that I'm doing, shining light sits at the top because it makes the most impact that you can see immediately in somebody's life. So the dream that I want to catch next is that we, like I said, we have a facility and an operation that is a one-stop shop from anyone that's dealt with trauma of sexual assault and domestic violence. That gentleman I told you that pours into me, um, he challenged me a year ago to do a vision board. I've never done a vision board in my life. I was like, I'm not doing that. He said, no, just do one. So I sat down and took some time and I built some things out. And one of the things was I want to have a facility that is transitional housing, but I don't want it to look like your regular transition housing. I want it to look like a nice apartment complex with a pool and a playground. Because you think about a lot of the people that are in transition typically have children. Think about having a nice, safe place that looks nice that the kids can actually play safe, maybe go swimming, play in the park. I'd love to have to have something like that. So those are some of the things that I'm, I have at the back of my mind that, you know, the resources come and the, the opportunities come to build something like that. Second thing is there is a, a cafe here in Raleigh called A Place at the Table. It is, it's a pay-as-you-can-afford cafe. You either pay the suggested price. If you don't have the money, you can eat for free. You just volunteer or you could pay it for it and pay for someone else's meal. I want to build one of those, but I want mine. Theirs looks like a cafe. I want mine to be like a real restaurant, like a nice restaurant. You think about it. If you don't have the resources to go to a real nice restaurant, you're not, you're not going to go. You know, you know, like I, I can't afford to go there. You know, you think of Ruth Chris. I want something on that type of scale where people can come and eat with true dignity, have a nice meal and feel like they're special. Like we still see them. A friend of mine in Africa introduced me to a new word, sawabona. Sawabona means I see you. I want them to feel like they're seen. Because sometimes, you know, we walk past people that are laying in the street. We ignore the person that's standing on the corner with the sign and all that. But I want a place where they can come in, regardless of how they look, they can come in and sit down, maybe have a nice steak dinner. I don't have the money to pay for this. Dinner. Don't worry about it. Eat. You volunteer, maybe go sweep the floor, wash the dishes. Or the business person says, I love this place. I want to support it. I'm coming. I'm going to eat. I'm going to bring my kid. Now I'm going to pay my meal. I'm going to donate another meal to somebody else. But that is, those are two things that I would those are those are my dreams. That's phenomenal. That is special there, man. And if I can't do it, and I, if, I, if I can plant the seed in someone else that has the resource and ability to do it, I'm fine with that. Just let me help you. Make an impact on the world. Become significant in the life of others. Give them an opportunity to be seen. That's That's amazing, man. So few people actually have that interest. They're worried about being seen. They're worried about the benefit of their efforts. They're worried about growing their wealth and accumulating accolades. Why, why are you so generous? What, what happened? There had to be an event that happened that moved you to There was an event. I lost everything. There was a point, there was a period that I lost everything. And when I say everything, everything. I, I was a big watch connoisseur. I pawned my watches and sold my watches. Um, I remember I was, I was homeless for a minute. 
And I had to build everything back up. And I saw how people that some people knew my story, what I was going through, how some people looked at me, not knowing that this was just the season that I was in. The Bible talks about there's a season for everything. That was my that was my dry season. But I still have people pouring into me in my dry season. And one thing about me, you can't keep, you know, they're saying you can't keep a good man down. Couldn't keep me down. So there's a story and I, I encourage everyone. Les Brown talks about the story about the um, palm tree and a friend of mine sent it to me. And it was a story about the palm tree. If you plant a palm tree in the ground, you can water it. You don't see anything. You can keep water. You don't see anything. A palm tree does not grow from up from the ground up until about five years. Everything is underground. And once it does sprout a ground, it immediately grows up, but it takes about five years. And when he sent it to me, he was telling me, he said, look, you're like that palm tree. He said, everybody on the surface can't see you growing, but underneath you're growing so much more. Part of that was my mindset and I didn't know it. So after that time period, it was time for me to sprout up. Things just took off for me. And, you know, I, I, I struggled with, you know, the term imposter syndrome for a while because I was like, oh, God, is this really me? Somebody going to find me out. I'm not this person, but I am that person. I am that person to serve. I am that person that can help you with virtually just about anything. And if I can't help you with rest assured, I got somebody in my back pocket that I can connect you with that can help you. So, you know, I always I literally have a a palm tree, a miniature palm tree on my desk to remind me about that story that it takes some time for certain things to grow. (laughs) This is awesome, man. So, Edward, down to the final question. It is amazing to be able to spend this time with you. I appreciate you being so generous with you sharing your story just authentically. Right. I mean, We've covered some pretty tough topics today, and I don't know that everybody has the gusto to actually have those conversations. So thank you for sharing so openly with the listeners. My final question is, what's the one thing you want people to take away from our talk? One thing is be a servant. Find one person to serve. Uh, One of the things, if you you ever, I I think all of us at one point have taken a rock and thrown it in the water and watched the ripple effect, but it was one rock that generated multiple ripple effects. That one person you serve, you never know the ripple effects that they go out and have. So find one person to serve at least once a week, serve one person and let the ripple effect go. Beautiful. And thank you again. I look forward to continuing to build and develop our relationship. We'll talk. Appreciate you, my brother. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.